You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Jesse Single, good to see you. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, this is uh, the Sophia program on meaningoflife.tv. Uh, Blogging is .tv available, streaming video and audio podcast. I'm Daniel Kaufman, the host. I'm a professor of philosophy at Missouri State University. I also publish an online magazine called The Electric Agora, and of course, I host the Sophia program. Um, I am with Jesse Singel, um, um, who who I am a fan of, um, and whose whose Twitter feed I follow, whom I read. Uh, he's been on with Aria. I don't know if you've been on with anybody else, but I think you've been on Blogging Head several times. I was on with Wright like forever ago. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm so everybody probably knows who Jesse is. But I'm going to allow him to ask him to introduce himself again, just so that he can highlight some of the stuff he's doing now that people might want to check out. Yeah, thank you for uh, letting me do that. Uh, I'm a contributing writer at New York Magazine. I used to work there. I left to write a book that should be out in about a year. We don't have a pub date yet about uh, basically bad social psychology and why it goes viral sometimes. Uh, I also have a newsletter, jessysingle.substack.com. And uh, I should also mention I have a new podcast with Katie Herzog, who some of your readers might be aware of. Uh, yeah, blocked yeah. in, blocked I, in, reported. I've been listening to that. That's enjoyable. Um, Thank you. I appreciate uh, it. I, I do recommend that to everyone. And Katie is another person who's been on Blogging Heads. And I, I see the natural fit because both of you are sort of fiercely independent. Both of you are um, clearly liberals in, 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 in virtually every respect. And both of you have been attacked pretty viciously from from the left, um, um, and so uh, I see I see the kindred spirits there. Um, um, Jesse, why don't you? I'm the host, but th- this conversation was inspired by you reaching out to me um, with regard to a number of things that were sort of peaking on Twitter and that a lot of people were talking about. So Jesse, why don't you tell everyone what we're going to talk about <laughs> yeah. um, and um, um, then we can sort of get going with our, with our conversation. Yeah. So I've, um, to the extent uh, people on the left have been mad at me and, and I should add that people on the right have been very mad at me too. It's had to do with stuff I've written about gender dysphoria, which is the sense that um, the sex you were born as a real sense of inner conflict with that sex. And that is traditionally what, causes some people to transition. So I've written some stories that are viewed as controversial. I, as I would say, don't think there's much wrong with them and and have had trouble having sort of a good faith debate about that. Anyway, that has brought me to your corner of the world, which is some of the philosophical debates over the nature of gender and sex and the transgender experience. And the reason I reached out to you is because my, my sense has been in following the subset of these, the philosophical debates that bubble down to people like me. um, And I'm, I'm not a philosopher. I actually majored in it. I'm not particularly good at it, but I can I can follow sort of a philosophical discussion for a popular audience. And what I've noticed is that the way this conversation is going on in philosophy or the, the public-facing part of it um, is a real missed opportunity. And I think there are a lot of genuinely interesting questions being raised about the nature of identity and what we owe to one another and how we should treat one another that are being reduced to slogans and that are getting politicized in unhelpful ways. And I'm... Um, Whatever else I am, I, I think I'm a naturally curious person, and I find a lot of these questions provocative, and it frustrates me to see most philosophers not really tackling them in a substantive way, because philosophers either become, I think it's safe to say, activists, who just who see themselves as advocating for trans people, which is a perfectly fine thing to do, but, but sometimes incompatible with certain kinds of analysis. And on the other hand, um, there's a small subset of gender-critical philosophers who I think are 
I don't always agree with them, but are trying to make sense of this stuff in a more traditional way. But then there's also, I think you'd agree with this, like a huge number of philosophers who just don't want any part of this debate because it's so toxic and there's so, the incentives, don't you think the incentives mostly point to staying out of it? Yeah. So, you know, people obviously know, I mean, I've done a number of dialogues with a number of people on, on this broad area, um, much to, to the dismay of some of the commenters in, uh, in the blogging heads audience. Um, um, you know, here's my, here's my impression of it. Um, it's an issue that has very concrete practical implications, right? It has practical implications down to how we, how we divide up uh, and treat uh, private intimate spaces. So changing rooms, bathrooms, um, um, uh, institutions, uh, prisons, um, uh, uh, rape shelters, um, you know, this has, this has, direct practical effects it has sort of secondary practical effects um you know we currently um collect a lot of data regarding uh uh uh, reproductive classes meaning which are which what male and female are they're reproductive classes right um um for all sorts of purposes in medicine um and in science we're finding out now for example that it seems that the coronavirus uh, the newton the novel coronavirus uh, far more impacts males than females um, that requires there to be males and females that you collect data on right, right. Um, and if some of the gender uh, gender activists had their way, that would all get really muddied um, and so 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 there are a lot of really really frontline practical substantial effects of of how we fall on this issue. Which means it has to be a topic that can be can be uh, a subject of public conversation and public discourse, um, as you correctly said. The, there, there's a small number of academics who we might go under the umbrella of gender critical, who are trying to sort of at least um, push back against some of the innovations that gender <laughs> activists are trying to affect in public policy, um, and are being uh, met with, uh, with with such a ferocious um, backlash that many of them, you know, are now, some of them are having to now have bodyguards following them around school. There's a, there's a professor at Oxford in the UK who, who now has bodyguards because she's been uh, threatened physically. Um, uh, others who are, who are being threatened professionally. Kathleen Stock is somebody I've talked about, an excellent philosopher um, um, who, who, you know, cares a lot about this issue she's 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 a she's a lesbian she's she's very left-wing she's part of the women's rights movement and she sees the intersections between uh, on this issue that 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 are um damaging to the to women's causes so you're right i mean the main philosophy overwhelmingly um academic philosophy overwhelmingly uh at least the people who are out loud about it and who are doing the main work publishing in the area is overwhelmingly on the side of the most radical uh, gender, gender identity activists. Um, And it's very hard to get a sense of what the opinion of, of philosophers as a whole is on the subject. I would suspect it's probably not that much different from the general public. Um, um, uh, because most philosophers professionally just don't want to deal with the professional consequences of crossing these people. Yeah. Um, I've written quite a bit about this in my, in my magazine. Um, I, I refer to these people as the philosophy woke brigade. And um, I've been chronicling a lot of their sort of antics, some of them funny, some of them not, not at all funny because they are, are, are 
efforts at destroying careers and reputations. Um, and so, yes, it, it is, it could be the most toxic side of the already toxic identity politics niche within philosophy, within academic philosophy. Um, and, um, and yeah, so, so it's got a very sort of skewed lopsided sort of sort of situation in which the, the discipline is on this subject is dominated by people who very aggressively are on the most extreme uh, uh, gender identity side of it, though we have no idea how many people in the profession would like to disagree. Those that do are few. And and we're going to examine one of those today in our discussion and they get uh, treated really terribly and have must have to have a lot of fortitude, not to mention a very, very um, well-established career to avoid the worst consequences of that sort of backlash. Um, and then I'm also interested in sort of the way that this plays out in the public. Um, 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 you know, we are talking about less than 1%, well less than 1% of the population and um, the way in which they are trying to sort of, I would argue, coerce public opinion and public standards and mores and behaviors is in a way that is wildly at odds with their actual um, um, representation. Right. Um, um, and, and that's something that interests me also. So anyway, that's my, that's my, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe the right trajectory here is to start with the sort of the, the traditional um, situation, which this has come up, which I think brings with it a, maybe not a liberal consensus, but pretty close to a liberal consensus. And we can jump from there to the sort of more radical claims and talk about how, in my view, there's no real discussion about them. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, I mean, this was all inspired by an exchange between two philosophy professors that's just recently sort of hit and that people have been talking about. Alex Byrne from MIT wrote a paper essentially saying, look, you know, uh, men, men are females and I'm sorry, men are males and women are females. <laughs> um, and that, you know, that's not, not only is that something that everybody's pretty much known since they were about six years old, um, but that that is something that, that, that makes sense. And there's a reason to sort of sort things that way. Um, and then Robin Dembroff, who obviously, uh, who is one of the more outspoken and gender uh, activists within philosophy, who virtually all of her, all of, of uh, Dembroff's work is in that area um, um, wrote a very sort of dismissive and just explicitly insulting um, um, response. Um, And there's a bit of an irony. I mean, if you look at the, if you look at their respective profiles, I mean, Alex Byrne is a far more distinguished philosopher than, than Robin Dembroff has a far more impressive and deep um, catalog of research works in very, serious, difficult, technical areas of philosophy, um, what metaphysics, epistemology, philosophy of language, philosophy of mind. Um, and so I, I'm, wonder, I, I'm wondering whether we're seeing in that showdown something where the weakness finally of the activist is going to be revealed, because Byrne is obviously not afraid of these people, has no reason to be afraid of these people, and is so far beyond in acumen and ability of these people that I suspect that um, Dembroff is going to regret just getting into a dust up with him um, um, that it's going to wind up publicly not going very well. Um, but, but so that people should know that the, the occasion of this was this specific spat between the two. And I assume at some point you're going to want to talk about that specific in, in back and forth between the two of them. 
Yeah, yeah, and I like you, and and that's where I'll, I'll um, I will link to all the papers so people can see. Totally, there will be a lot. They don't to have to it. accept my characterization of it; they can read it themselves. And yeah, and and I'll I'll sort of I'd love to get some of your insight on that because that those two papers are slightly more technical, whereas I'm going to try to keep to the more general, um, sure, sure. you know, pop philosophy for lack yeah. of a better word. But but the so the the traditional paradigmatic case is someone uh, who's born male. Um, I, I continue to use that term. I don't think a side male at birth makes much sense. So just let me have that one. If people are watching born, someone who's born male who feels um, a deep sense of what's known as gender dysphoria, discomfort with being male or with being seen as male and who decides to transition. Um, in those cases, in my view, and I think the views of most liberals, most Democrats, people sense there is a moral obligation to prevent the harm that would be caused if you continue to treat this person as male in situations where they have dysphoria and have made an effort to transition. I think that's the traditional case. And my view, my sense is that even most conservatives in 2020 aren't going to sort of intentionally continue to use male pronouns or refer to someone as male in that situation. Do you think that's but it's defeasible? Right? But look, it's defeasible. I mean, even that is defeasible, right? In the sense that as is the case with everything, of course, we do endeavor as we can to try and prevent unnecessary or gratuitous harm to other, to other people, regardless of what, along what vector. But it's always defeasible in terms of competing harms that might be worse, right? Um, and so, yes, we do. I think the way you describe the situation is right. And nonetheless, there are still going to be certain environments and contexts in which they are going to be identified as male and either not permitted into them or um, um, treated within a separate context. Um, you know, there's still, unless, unless there's been a full complete physical transition, um, you know, in middle age, they're still going to have to get prostate exams um, and they're still going to be subject to certain types of ailments and illnesses that females will not. Yeah. And they're still not is- going to be allowed. They're still not going to be allowed into uh, women's toilets um, and uh, women's train dress- dressing rooms in, uh, in, uh, in gymnasiums and other places. Now, of course, this is, you know, the first thing everybody will say is, you know, oh, well, you know, who check, does people check their genitals uh, when they go into these places? And the answer is, well, of course not. And it has always been the case that those who quote unquote pass simply go in and out and it's not, but that doesn't change, that doesn't affect the, the sort of the, the principle, right? I mean, and, and that is that, yes, we do attempt to not harm people and to try to avoid harming people, but off sometimes the, there's competing interests, right? Yeah. And it doesn't always fall on the, the, the right decision doesn't always fall on the side of the, of the, of the, the gender dysphoric person. But, but I think the reason the trans movement has been successful at that, that basic first goal of having trans women be generally seen as women and trans men being seen generally as men is it is sort of a matter of treating people the way they want to be treated. And my understanding yes. is among my sort of social circle, which is almost entirely Obama liberals and people to the left of that. Um, there's virtually no debate on things like bathrooms, to be honest. But if you bring up certain more outlying issues like sports, like someone who hasn't transitioned, who wants to play on a women's sports team or prisons in the case of someone who hasn't transitioned, people have, you know, conflicting and, and nuanced views. But, but the point is this general model that we're, we're treating someone a certain way out of a moral obligation to them rather than we, because we believe some metaphysical fact about them, yes. I think makes a pretty big difference. Yes. And I think that that's what's responsible for the yes. divide right here. Yes. Um, and we don't even have to agree. I mean, there, there's certain, there's certain social 
dimensions of respect that I pay to people, even when I categorically don't believe what, whatever it is that this thing is centered around. Right. For example, religious, various religious identifications and stuff, you know, I will go to some lengths to sort of, you know, um, respect and accommodate people's, uh, you know, various religious identities and practices, despite the fact that I might think that they're all entirely false. Yeah. Right? So you're absolutely right that there is a basic principle, I think, at work in which all of the things being equal, we do try not to harm others. Um, and uh, all that I wanted to say is that the all things being equal clause is relatively wide, right? There's quite sure. a bit that would, that would, that to which this would be defeasible and it would usually be a competing interest, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think we're probably, yeah. we might have some marginal disagreement there, but I think uh, when I did a, a newsletter post about this, my, my whole argument has been we need to separate out different things. We need to separate out gender identity, gender, and sex. They're actually different concepts. There's been an attempt to really conflate them. And my general view, which is sort of the orthodox, good liberal Obama view, is in most cases, if someone's gender identity and their sex uh, diverge, we can usually defer to their to their gender identity. I don't I think really, that's... I think that's, I think that that's- that's undeniable. I think that that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And there might be cases, and I think that's where there'd be disagreement for there might, I don't, I think a very, I wish there was better polling on this. Cause I think the vast majority of people think there are some cases where they diverge the way to, in theory, the, the sort of rhetorical or philosophical move, you can reduce the disagreement to zero is if you say, we're not treating people, we're not treating people as X, they literally are X. And and that's where I think a lot of the disagreement comes in. And that's um, there's a group in philosophy that have really staked out the position that if someone says they are something, you know, they are that thing for all intents and purposes. This was a yeah. position Kate Mann said um, yeah. stated explicitly on Twitter. Yeah, I, I, so, so you know, this has a political side to it that I wonder what you think about. And I, I just it always kind of surprises me a little bit. And it's not only on this issue; it is on so many issues. I don't understand why people take stances that entail that their coalition is going to fall apart and that they're going to be standing there with four other people by themselves, right? Yeah. What you just described is a consensus that a and that the, pretty much the entire liberal wing of our politics will accept. Yeah. Everyone from a centrist liberal like myself, um, um, you know, who in the old days probably would have been what they call, what was it, a blue, blue dog? Blue dog Democrat. Democrat. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, um, you know, some, <laughs> the kind of person who, who you know, who, who who would have no, you enjoys president, you know, Eisenhower style presidents, right? <laughs> right. Um, 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 as well as, you know, centrist liberal sort of uh, Democratic presidents. Um, this consensus would include everyone from someone like me to the most far radical left wing progressive. Now that's a large coalition. Yeah. But that's not good enough for them, right? The, right? the activists want much more. They want much more concession. They want much more purity. And the result is the destruction of what is what was a large coalition and the creation of a tiny coalition that yeah. has zero political chance of gaining any of its objectives other than through very um, uncivil and, um, um, in my view, unethical means. I think, but I think that's complicated because they they do have power in some settings. I mean, yeah, but it always when it runs into the electorate, it always goes right down the toilet, yeah, right? That's I mean, true. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing this in the UK where these issues are more advanced. Every time it kind of runs up against the electorate or against the general public, or people start getting a whiff of this, you know, the sports thing you mentioned is a good example. I yeah. think that's one of the things that's going to absolutely destroy any chances that that movement has, right? Because it's such a preposterous, absurd position. 
Um, and it's so demonstrably destructive of what has been a very carefully and importantly cultivated female athletics scene um, that only just now has started to really become as good as and as interesting as the, the male uh, competitive uh, uh, professional athletic scene that I, you know, I do think that that's, that's one of the areas where it's going to, where it's running into public opinion and it's just not going to survive. So anyway, I just wonder if you, if you have also thought this sort of like, you know, why are you trying to make yourself smaller so that you'll never win anything? Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you I actually want to win or do you just want to stand there? and demonstrate how great, how good you are. Right. And it's starting to me more and more to wonder whether that's really what they're after. Have you, have you read much Freddie DeBoer? Oh yeah, sure. Sure. I like, I I like him a lot. (laughs) Yeah. He has an essay called the, the iron law of institutions and the left. And it points out that this is sort of a, it's not actually a law, but it's a a general uh, phenomenon in many human institutions, which is people act in a way that will benefit their standing within the institution rather than the chance that the institution will accomplish its external its goals. goals. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when you see in the context he used was like on the line, um, there was a period in what, 2016, 2017, when a lot of hip online leftists were sort of wantonly calling for violence. It was like punch Nazis, but clearly they wanted to punch more people than that. And, and Freddie was saying, this is stupid for, any number of reasons, not least of which the right has all the guns and the cops. Right. And that if you actually get the fight you're asking for, you're the one who's going to get your ass kicked, not the yeah, other exactly. way around. But it's he the said same thing can... when the activists, the, the trans activists will often, they almost always attack women. You right. never see them. I've never seen one threatening some redneck in, you know, in Alabama with a gun rack in his truck. They're always threatening, you know, women professors and things like that because they know that they're not intimidating to anybody who's actually... <laughs> Right, who's actually into physical violence? They're really not very intimidating, um, um, and so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I agree with you about that l- large consensus. I think that the way you described it is a winner with the entire liberal coalition. I, I, yeah, I, I, and it, it also. I mean, the other thing I that I've heard myself. I mean, yeah, no, and I, I also like I in my in my journalism I've reported um, interviewed a number of trans people, and if you actually hear them tell their story, like it's. I generally don't think sort of just living as a man or living as a woman is an option for them. Like that gender dysphoria is a very real thing and it's devastating. And I think we should allow people to, to uh, mitigate it to the extent possible. Absolutely. Um, But the other part of this is that um, when you make this sort of a a metaphysical thing, there's actually a huge amount of disagreement within the trans community that gets erased over, over what it means to be trans. And this is a point Alex Byrne made, in his article, which is you do not have to look very far to find trans women who say, well, I don't think I'm literally a woman. I think I'm X or I think I'm Y there's, there's been this sort of calling of acceptable opinion, even on the left, even within the trans community where the only people sort of allowed a voice are, are these people with sort of these essentialist notions of what it means to be a man and a woman. And so I think there's in adopting this, this new more radical stance, you're actually harming some trans people themselves because their voices get squelched. They get sort of, expurgated from the community so i think it's just um it's been it's been decided that the only way to get trans people their rights are to make these very strong philosophical claims that i think run into trouble if you if you poke and prod them a little because they're a little bit flimsy yeah you know i look the point the, the thing you just described is obviously the case like everything else right um 
uh, trans people uh, are, uh, you know, uh, are subject to the same diversity of opinion um, um, yep. and, and, and even political orientation. I mean, probably the most famous trans YouTuber is Blair White and she's, and she's, a conservative, right? Um, yeah. A Trump supporter, right? So, I mean, and this is the same thing with eight racial minorities. This is the same thing with everything, right? Of course, they're diverse because people are diverse, right? right? The problem is that the activists don't want to acknowledge this because the activists um, are, are so sort of tunnel visioned. Um, and so what they simply do is they simply deny, you know, this is the Pete gut beat by the judge is not gay enough, right? I mean, right. Um, um, it's the same kind of phenomenon it's absurd. It's laughable. Anybody from the outside looking at it just says, Oh my God, you people are insane, but it does function within the frame um, to in a sense, purify and isolate and, and present a kind of a, a unified front that's entirely artificial. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, well, and, and, and I think it's important. Um, there's a subset of conservatives who will always be against trans rights, but I, I want to pull up this specific Kate Manning tweet to make a point about it. Kate Mann. So Kate um, Mann is a very well-known um, young feminist philosopher who um, has very much come into public attention because of her book uh, Down Girl, um, which Bob Wright did a did an interview with her on it, and people can watch it. But she's a very outspoken uh, tr- a trans activist as well. She's not trans herself, but an act- trans activist online. On Twitter, um, I'm blocked by her. I'm actually blocked by all of these people. So I have to, always have to find out what their latest goings on are from third parties. Right. Anyway, I, that's I who she is. So, so yeah. what, what, what's the, what's the, is this a tweet or what is this? That yeah, this was a tweet, yeah. um, that got some attention. And, and so just compare what the, the sort of basic logic we just discussed, which is you should treat people well to alleviate suffering and, and cause they want to live who they are versus, I believe that trans women being women in every sense of the term are subject to misogyny as well as trans misogyny specifically. And um, I think just about everyone understands there's some differences between cisgender and transgender women. If there weren't, we wouldn't need those terms. We wouldn't need the cis prefix, which is itself uh, controversial in some circles. But if that's going to be the messaging of the movement, most people just have a pretty visceral um intuitive reaction to that, like that's just false. And it puts people in a position of having to agree to stuff they believe is false to be part of the movement. Whereas the beauty of, of, well, first the gay rights movement and then aspects of the trans movement is you can just make arguments that are true. You can get people on board by saying stuff that's true and you're not requiring people to really rewire fundamental aspects of how they see the world. I mean, the most rewiring anyone had to do was conservatives had to deal with two gay guys getting married married which is by no means a major imposition i mean i know it was for some cultural conservatives but at the end of the day that worked so i think to the extent the messaging around the stuff centers on on like what kate man is saying and a lot of the philosophers we're going to be discussing i just don't think that's good because it doesn't matter how deeply you look into some of these claims and think about that or how educated you are it's hard to understand exactly what they're saying or how they could be justified yeah um, just one technical issue. Um, your your audio is great, but your um, video is very choppy um, and is not in sync with your audio. I'm just letting you know that. I don't know if sure there's yours is yours. To is me mine also? Choppy, I'm yeah. I'm on a, I'm on a direct Ethernet line. Oh, so interesting. As far as I can see of myself, I'm not glitching and stuff. But maybe you're seeing me glitching. I think I have probably have a worse connection than you. Hopefully. Are you on a Wi-Fi? Yeah, yeah. Sort of the only. No, option. there's nothing we can do. The audio's crystal clear though, so it's okay. 
people will just have to deal with various stills of your hands. I think I look face. better blur. I look better blurry anyway, so it's fine. Actually, I kind of say I have to say I kind of like you more hairy. Um, Thank you. Um, you 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 have a youthful face, and so you kind of look too a little too young when you <laughs> when you're less when you're less here suit. Um, 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 yeah. So look, I mean, gosh, I mean, even just this thing you just said gets so you get in the weeds immediately once you yeah. start pushing it into the academic philosophical way of talking about this, right? So the first thing is, um, you know, they're gonna what they're gonna want to say is that look, you know. Um, we need to detach woman from female and man from male. That's the first thing, right? right? So for them, man and women denote genders and genders are sexually heterogeneous, right? Right. Um, um, so that's already one just big, that's one big giant mess that you get into because I think most people, um, ordinary people speaking ordinary language, right? Um, the ordinary yeah. uses of these terms don't separate them that much. Now they may have play. There's room, right? Yeah. So I do think that there is a sort of a space in the gender terms for, you know, very, you know, very passable trans women, trans men, et cetera. And certainly in terms of social, certain social environments, there would be an unproblematic use of the word woman or man to refer to these sorts of people. Um, um, But, for most people in ordinary language and, and most ordinary language uses of these words, the gender dimension is not completely untethered from the sex dimension. So that's number one complication, right? So well, not only that, but they're, they're, they're very highly correlated. And, and I think, I mean, one useful point some feminists and trans philosophers have pointed out is there's real fuzziness there. When I point to someone and I say, that's a man, uh, it's an approximation and it's an approximation that isn't, isn't, quite a direct comment on like their phenotype or their well it is their phenotype but not their genitals like yeah. there'd be situations where you can point over and say that person's a man because they look like a man and they're not in fact a man so um i think right. the, the, the thing i always start with is like people could point and choose man woman man woman man woman with about 99% accuracy. Right. And this is very likely hardwired into our brains. So it's, you would expect these things to correlate at a very high degree. Yeah. And look, I mean, this is one of these weird places where all of a sudden what formerly would have been, what formerly would have been considered more than sufficient uh, percentage right. to, con- to, to, to constitute a norm, right? Yep. All of a sudden now isn't, right? So there's no other area in which 99.7% or whatever it is, right, doesn't constitute a norm. Yep. Except in this area, magically, right? It all of a sudden it doesn't, and that's just not credible to anybody, right? I mean, that's not yeah. uh, that's not credible unless you've already accepted 20 other propositions, all of which are very dicey and would need to be argued for. And the arguments I've seen, you could drive, you know, several fleets of vans through. I mean, they're just not very good arguments. Well, well but that's um, because they're they're starting, in my view, when I read someone like Dembrov, who who um. You know, there's sophistication to the work, at least from my layperson's perspective sometimes. But but what's going on is they're starting from the assumption that anyone's gender claim, any gender claim they make needs to be taken as true. Yeah. Any situation where you start from the from the proposition that anything someone says along X lines has to be true, yeah. you're going to have to twist yourself into pretzels to defend that. And that's when you when you talk about the arguments you could drive a truck through, that's where that comes in. Well, there, there are those normative assumptions, right? Um, because that assumption that 
whatever anyone self whatever anyone self identifies as has to be taken as true. That's really a normative assumption, right? It's really it's really uh, the description of a kind of an of an obligation, right? To simply accept other people's identifications, and we could question that, right? I mean, right. I mean, um, 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 so that's one thing, but but it sort of gets worse because, um, look. There's, there's, there's a mischaracter. There's not just these sort of, uh, you know, controversial, unargued for assumption, normative assumptions that we're supposed to accept. There's also a very um, controversial, and I would suggest it's not even meant really seriously. It's, it's, it's people know people at Denbrough are too smart not to know this, right? Um, there, there, there seems to be just a, an, a, a, a complete aw shucks like naivete about what a scientific generalization is, right? Right. It's never been anything but statistical. Yeah. So the idea somehow that science shows, right, that there aren't males and females. Yeah. You have to be willfully misunderstanding what scientific generalizations consist of to say something like that. But this is what I mean about. This actually shocks me that this makes it through peer review anywhere. Well, but there's, there's sort of, um, it's funny. There's like a generalizability crisis in psychology right now. There's, there's almost one in this corner of philosophy because they, they make claims that we so clearly wouldn't accept as true in other contexts. Like the fact that there are three legged dogs does not, does not mean that dogs are not quadrupeds. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. 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 I've raised that point a million times that there's never a good answer. Um, 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 of course they are. There's not a single, uh, you know, textbook in zoology or anywhere else that's not going to refer to dogs as quadrupeds right right and we all know that what that means is that four legs is the statistical norm for dogs right and i guarantee you it's less of a statistical norm than male and female sexes I, I, can i can i actually read yeah. a couple sentences from Denbrough because i want to yeah, get your please, take on this the please. question of, of whether what's going on could be more seen as normative or, or descriptive I think it's fuzzy here because um, in a paper Dembroff wrote with Daniel Wodak for Ergo, uh, Open Access Journal of Philosophy. So they talk about this real life person named Paige something. Paige is by gender. They're gender that the arrow piece you just sent to me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I read that. Yeah. Okay. So they write about Paige. Paige's gender flips, uh, their internal sense of their gender, their gender identity flips from male to female multiple times a day. Sometimes in their view, they're a guy. Sometimes in their view, they're a girl. Um, and they, they raise the possibility of using they to refer to someone like Paige. But that's a problem, right, Dembroff and Wodak, for this reason. Given current linguistic practices, it contributes to the stigmatization that Paige faces as a bigender individual. It tacitly communicates that at no point in time is Paige like Hillary Clinton or Catherine McGregor or any other woman for whom she would be used. And likewise, that at no point in time is Paige like Steph Curry or John Oliver for whom he would be used. Now, as is often the case here, it's sort of left unsaid. What's what your I'm, reaction to that? I mean, I, I'm just curious. I don't know what it means. You just said that. I mean, are you moved by that? Well, no, because I don't know. I, mean, what, I don't know what it means. Well, that's too bad, as my media thought. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I also don't know. What does it mean? So, <laughs> but it, I, I guess it's being – okay, it's a normative claim in the sense that – I should not refer to Paige as they because I will tacitly communicate that Paige is not like Stephen Curry. Right, but you're also not you're also supposed to get the he and she right then all the time, right? Right. I mean, well, th- this is part of the argument that we should just use they for everyone, which would render this a moot point. But even setting that aside, well, wait a minute, I thought uh, you just said that using they stigmatizes this person. They think that in the long run, if we use they for everyone, no, I understand. Look, I know. Oh, yeah. I read the article. No, no. Um, all that I want to say is. 
this is the sort of thing. Right. You're now you're now getting into a territory of this is madness to everyone other than the people who are inside the tent, right? I mean, well, I mean this, I, only, I, this only makes sense if you, was, if you already accept 50 other things that don't make sense. Sure, but, but it would be um, – but it, this is what I mean, though. Like, who I, acts I just, like this? Well, I would like it to know what it means to say Paige is like Stephen Curry, and I suspect Dembroff and Wodak would say Paige is like Stephen Curry in that Paige is a man during those periods when Paige feels like a man – and then I would say, okay, what do you mean by is? And they would just go. Yeah, I don't want conversations are circular. Yeah, I don't want to scatter shoot because we could go all over the place. I mean, I wrote a whole essay called "Feeling Like a Man," in which I said I don't think there is anything such thing. I don't either. I don't think I have a gender identity. Which um, is why I don't think you should I have no. Whole... You asked me what does it feel like to be when I couldn't answer you. Yeah, I find it I very interesting that the only people who seem to understand what these things mean are the people who are using them in political uh, arguments. Right? But this is the this is like uh, the other thing. You know, I really liked Alex's Alex Burns' ar- um, article in Arc Digital, where in the same way Rebecca um, Riley Cooper did, he pointed out there's really basic problems with the whole framework of gender identity. I agree with you. I don't think I have a gender identity. I'm not. I'm not. I don't. I've never seen it explained in a coherent way that isn't just stereotypes, but. That's another example of building yeah. this entire rights edifice on on sand, basically, because if people don't accept the basic claim of gender identity, a lot of these claims just fall away. And it, it just it seems like there's so much just basic philosophical work that hasn't been done yet. And and if you point that out, you'll be told, well, you haven't done the reading. There's these 500 pa-. But uh, uh, one of the things that As someone who's read them, let me just tell you something. You're not missing anything, right? I right. mean, because look, if this stuff had really good solid comprehensible arguments behind it you'd hear the arguments right yeah exactly it wouldn't be sort of it wouldn't be sequestered away in the stacks right to where you'd have to go look for it right you know if you want if you know if, if i say that i agree you know that i basically agree, accept and agree with quine's position on ontological commitment i can in a tweet tell you what that is and tell you why i accept it right right i, I i'm you're never going to have a conversation with me where i say well you know those of us who actually have done research in this know the answer and you'll just have to go look in the archives. Um, um, uh, uh, I'm not going to spend my emotional labor on you. Um, you know, that's just not how people inter interlocute in an honest manner. I mean, well, but the, how- but the problem is, it was one of the things Byrne points out is like a lot of the stuff. I think the word for is ameliorative. It's philosophy that starts from the premise and then says we should use language this way. So he quotes a philosopher, um, last name Jenkins as saying in 2016, the, propos- Jenkins, yeah. Yeah, the proposition that transgender identities are entirely valid, that trans women are women and trans men are men is a foundational premise of my argument, which I will not discuss further. Right. So then, but, but see, don't, so what are we, but, it's not philosophy. Right. So they're, I mean, what they're signaling is we're not going to do philosophy with you. Right. We're going to have a fight with you. But then if you, but then they say you haven't read the philosophy to understand, but then you go and read it and it's very different from, from most other yeah. philosophy and that yeah. it doesn't do the same thing. Yeah. Look, I mean, so much of what I, how I feel about this has to do not with philosophy itself, but with, in a sense, the social, the, the social dynamics of philosophy, right? right. Um, when you start off that way, what you've basically signaled to me is that you're disinviting me to do philosophy. Yeah. You're inviting me to have a fight and I'm ready to have a fight. Right. And you're not, you know, the 0.3% ain't going to beat the 99.7. Let me, let me, I don't want to, I would suggest to these people that they have, that they do philosophy and stop, stop trying to pick fights because they're not going to win the fights. 
Right. Right. And if they want to advance the cause of the people that, that, that they think they're advocating for, they'd be better off doing a lot more philosophy by which I mean, actually talking to their opponents do you, rather than trying to pick fights with their opponents. Do you think any of them would appear on your show and talk about this stuff with you? Well, they all block me, so I have no idea. I mean, you know, and and, and honestly, Jesse, I mean, I don't want to fight with people. (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm ready to, but I don't want to. But if you're in a situation like this, it doesn't have to be a fight. It would have to be more of a conversation, or they could storm off. The closest I've done is I had Justin Weinberg on. Yeah, he's the Daily News guy, right? He's the Daily News guy. He's very partisan. He's very much on the side of the activists. He uses what he presents as a kind of a news blog about the discipline to really advance a number of causes and to perform hits on people. I mean, he's he's allowed his blog to be used to perform hits on Kathleen Stock and other people. I had him on the show um, with the aim of sort of saying, okay, I was trying to sort of do philosophy with somebody who I know I disagree with on, on a lot. Yeah. And we had a perfectly civil conversation. And I thought to myself, okay, this, this maybe this is a, a road in. But then he went on to sort of knife me in 15 different ways on his blog, to which I refuse now to participate anymore. I've just not found that these, that, that most of the people in this movement have either the basic manners nor the sort of social um, they're, they're also socially dysfunctional that, that, that they don't know how to behave in a conversation. Right. And so you really can't talk to them. I mean, that's part of what's so difficult about this. And it's why I've almost taken entirely to dealing with them through sort of comedic essays, because you can't have a philosophical argument with them. Look what happens when you try to. I mean, look yeah. at this. Look at this poor Rebecca Tuvel. What happened to her? Right. Well, that was um, sort of my entree to a lot of this. Is is it seemed like she was trying to look at this issue through a normal philosophical lens, which could include coming to conclusions that made people uncomfortable. In her case, transracialism. And um, I got I didn't get nearly the backlash she got, but I wrote an article defending her. Um, we should we should link to that if possible. That basically just pointing out that the stuff people were saying about her article was was completely false. They it did not represent the actual text, which in my experience during these online blobs, people don't care what the text actual says. The important thing is sort of burn the witch, but that was an example of how um, it seems to me as an outsider that if you really do just try to do philosophy in this area without just accepting a bunch of premises that haven't been well defended, you know, you'll get in trouble. And I have one more example of that. From, yeah. Um, go, go again because, yeah, because I've got, I mean, legions of them. I mean, look, Dembroff herself, was involved not that long ago in a kind of a deplatforming on, on IAI. She was non-consensually, she was non-consensually co-platforming. Right, right. And look, Kathleen said, Stock, you know, uh, journals t- t- invited her to do a review on a, on a, on a feminist work and, and, and a very prominent academic philosopher who I named in, in one of my essays um, went behind the scenes and tried to, tried to pressure the editors to uninvite her. I mean, yeah. you know, they're playing a very filthy sort of game. They're fighting a very dirty kind of fight. Yeah. And in an academic discipline, it's sort of hard to know how to deal with something like that. Yeah. Um, um, and well, I think what, what about their, their claim? There was the sort of, uh, let me play devil's advocate here. Cause I don't know. No, sure. That. Sure. Sure. There was a medium post um, by an anonymous trans philosopher who said that just the, existence of people like stock in her field made I the field so about that. Yeah. I think I read your essay, but yeah. I, I'm curious to get your take on that sort of live. Like basically the idea is 
the existence of gender critical philosophy in the field makes my life so unbearable that I can't even do philosophy myself. Yeah. I just don't, I don't believe that. Yeah. I just think that's a lie. In what sense? I don't believe that a person is so threatened by the existence of a middle-aged lesbian in the field that they can't participate. And if that's true, then I would suggest they have problems far worse than their academic participation. And they probably need some serious um, medical intervention. Um, I just don't believe that. I mean, if you've ever looked at Kathleen Stock, right, you couldn't possibly be afraid of her, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, if you ever listen to her talk, I mean, and right. what is she going to do to you? I mean, it, it just, it's, it's almost well, you have to accept the premise that their identity. Their well, I feel identity. like I'm having a conversation with a sixth grader when I talk to hear stuff like that. I mean, I don't know what even to say to it. Um, 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 are you, re- you really, as an adult think that if you walk into a building where a conference is going on and Kathleen stock is in it, that you're in some sort of danger. I don't believe well, it's like, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't believe you caricature, but they're manipulative. They pre- it's manipulative. They presented as sort of like a type of almost epistemic or identity danger. I don't, I don't believe there's undercut, such yeah. thing. Yeah. There's a whole category and I look that, but this is part of the corruption of philosophy. I mean, there are whole subfields now, epistemic injustice and all this kind of stuff. I, I don't, I'm sorry. I just don't accept any of it. I mean, I think it's, 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 and it's such a, it's, it, it, when you read the literature, it is such a, it's, it's so diminished in quality relative to what you normally think of. I mean, you have to understand, I came into philosophy in the sort of the golden age of 20th century philosophy. I mean, you know, the people I was reading was everyone from, you know, Quine to Davidson to, to Fodor to, to Kripke to, yeah. and, 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 you know, and now I'm being asked to sort of, you know, accept this sort of stuff. Well, this is the, this is philosophy's next generation. And I'm just like, no, it's not, it's terrible. Um, um, yeah. It's, you know, the, the, the stuff, you know, we don't even get on the merits of it. I mean, the stuff about that you read from man, I mean, I, I would just contest it right from the beginning. Um, um, social identities of which gender identity is one are not determined by the person by themselves. They're socially negotiated. Well, but this is what I mean. When, like when I say you can't collapse gender and gender identity, the traditional understanding of gender or one of them is like, I see you, I gender you as male. It's not, there's nothing to do with your, this ties exactly into what I wanted to, to mention, but um, it's just, it's just switching up the definition on the fly and then getting mad. People don't use the new definition that you haven't even, bothered arguing for or the very notion that one defines oneself i don't think that's true right i think yes, social no, animals to a great degree are defined by one another yeah. i don't think we're defined I, I talked about this in an essay called self-made where i said look there's almost a kind of a weird radical cartesianism involved in a lot yeah. of these positions that somehow i everything about me is self-determined well that's just not true right, right. This is false. Yeah. And I gave you know, 20 examples of social identities, which are not determined by you. They're determined by others. But the problem and is I would say don't... gender is one of those. Right. I think the not problem sex. is sex is determined by nature. Right. Right. But gender is determined by public perception to a great yeah. degree. And it has to be negotiated in public. It's not something you just declare and everyone right. else falls in line. And if they don't, oh, well, you're, you're in serious trouble. I mean, that's what they're trying to turn it into. Yeah, but it, it's, um, it's just it's based on a false premise that these are self-determined identities and they're not. Right. That's my yeah. Well, let me give it. Let me yeah, give this example. Ahead. Um, they're talking about uh, Hayes. This is Dembroff and Wodak in the the that same article. He, she, they, they. Hayes is a um 
genderqueer or agender rapper. Now, they're talking about why it's wrong to misgender Haze, and that's not, I don't have, I have no problem with that. I use people's pronouns they want, but this, this explanation makes little sense to me. They say, okay, if you misgender Haze, if you call Haze he or she rather than they, it, you're harming them because it communicates that Haze either identifies as a man, he, or identifies as a man, she. But it's never been the case as since I've started using the words he and she when I was two or three, that when I say he, I'm referring to your internal state. You're like, it's just a complete swapping of what that means. And, and if you want to make the case that that is how we should use it, sure. But this is an example of like writing, you know, in a philo- I know it's a philosophy journal, but there's a lot of people reading this who won't already be convinced of that. It completely clashes with everyone's lay intuitions about what he or she means. And, and to me, a more realistic account is I use he in one sense in most situations. And then there's, there's exceptions where I use he or she to, to be kind to someone. And I think that's fine. And I think that's something most people do, but to just say that when I call you, he, I'm stating that you identify as a male. That's never been the case. I call no. you, he, because I see you as male. I gender right. you as male. That's right. And so but the, but my thing is if I, someone who's not, a philosopher can read this and, and it just seems like such a basic unstated assumption, if not error, that just goes completely unaddressed. You, you could just run right past that without addressing it. It, it just, it seems weak. And, and part of the reason I, I'm hoping that if maybe a few of the people watching this who are philosophers can tell me I'm wrong and that this work actually has been done somewhere. My experience is people tell you the work's already been done and you're ignorant to even ask the question. But then if you go back and look, you don't find the you work. Don't read it. You realize it didn't make the argument at all. Or, you know, yeah. the question remains unresolved or, you know, there's an attempt to resolve it, but it's kind of highly contestable. Um, um, and in a normal, healthy subdiscipline, that would have played out in the journals. In other words, yeah. you would have had right? But when you start off stipulating this conversation can't be had because it all has to be taken as a given as, as was mentioned, as you read from the, um, the Carrie Jenkins piece. And as I've heard man and others just sort of stay, right? I mean, this, this is sort of, you know, now become routine and, and I don't know uh, the, the, the anonymous philosopher, the person that you mentioned in medium, um, um, the trans the person who's leaving the profession, right. Um, um, in a great dramatic gesture, right. Um, if you read the recommend the, the demands, they're actually demands, right. There are demands in it. They that, don't have much leverage if you're leaving the profession. That all, I know. I, I actually describe this thing as essentially like reading the unfiltered, um, um, rantings of a teenager, right. Um, including, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm running away and never coming back at the same time while you're then saying, and you better da 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 right? It's just like, <laughs> um, um, it's, it's actually kind of sad, um, to read. Um, but, um, um, you know, the problem is, is that, is that they're demanding that the whole discipline act this way, right? right. If you read the list of demands, it's that journals, should not publish articles that don't accept those fundamental assumptions, which means the conversation you're describing in which the arguments could be played out and tested against counter arguments. And thus, at least by the end of it, you could say that this, this, this radical um, gender identity position has a sort of a solid foundation and has really confronted its critics. Right. Yeah. Um, you can't say, right. Because they themselves are trying to institutionalize the inability to have that conversation in the journals, in the profession, in departments, and so on and so forth. 
Um, um, and so to my mind, increasingly, I view this entire subdiscipline as essentially simply um, propaganda. It's not, it's not philosophy and it's really not actually intended to be philosophy. Someone who starts off saying, I take A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all of which are highly contestable and controversial right. and are not accepted by probably more than 50% of the profession, right? Yep. I'm taking those as givens and not only can you not contest them, but if you try to contest them, I'm going to pressure journals to drop your article and reject it. And I'm going to call your department, try to get your department to censure you. In fact, that's not philosophy. Right. Is the, is the that's problem warfare. here that that's warfare. Is the <laughs> problem here that because it's a thin sim- subdiscipline and that's quickly established these rigid norms, you can just publish and publish and publish without having your ideas really challenged, except by someone even more. Yes. They, they are in an echo chamber. They, look, they remind me of, they remind me of, of sort of like Fox news types on the right. I actually, I actually wrote an essay where I just, I kind of wished out loud that, that these two, two groups would just leave together. <laughs> Go to an island, let the Fox news people and the, and the crazy, Progress, far progressive wing of, of my party go off on an island and, and murder each other together and leave us the rest of us alone the other 90 percent of us alone um um yes i mean I, I don't you can't do philosophy that way right right you can't do philosophy that philosophy is all about engaging with the assumptions especially when the assumptions are controversial and 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 yes in my view contrary contrary to common sense and ordinary language, which again is remember what we're talking about. Anybody can define and stipulatively define any technical terms that they want. And the usefulness of that will depend upon the uses to which they're put. But what we're talking about is ordinary common speech and their common look. I mean, this is a philosophy of language thing, but um, um, with regard to ordinary language, meaning is simply customary use. Right. Right. Now that can change. They're trying to change it. Well, but that's the way it changes through negotiation. It doesn't change by you just declaring it on Tuesday, right? And now it, now the meanings change. That's not how it works, right? Well, so going, going to the burn Dembroff sort of face off, which centers on the question of of what a woman is, was your sense that, that it seemed to me Dembroff was genuinely fuzzing up and, and denying what I view as a fact that, that most people, I'd say upwards of 98 or 99% on the planet, do view woman as referring to a specific thing. It seems like Dembroff is saying, well, different communities use it in different ways. Who's to say, was that part of her argument? Well, she does say that. I mean, and she even, she, I love when she, she uses word. I'm sorry. I'm, I can't even do the they, all right. With a singular, it just screws up my sentences. I'm just going to say Dembroff. All right. Um, I'm not deliberately misgendering this person. Um, it's just that I, I cannot incorporate they plural into sentences without having to stop and think about what I'm saying. And I, and this is one of the reasons why I don't want to do it. Right. I mean, um, um, un- un- unless you really demonstrate to me some really serious harms, which I don't believe you can. Um, I'm, I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to do it. Actually, Dembroff's it's funny. The technically Dembroff. Dembroff's <laughs> position is that you have an active duty. Uh, you have a positive duty to not misgender, but you actually do not have, sorry, you have a, negative duty to not misgender you don't have a positive duty to gender so you're on you're on Dembroff's page on this anyway okay well good and i'm just gonna say Dembroff and um and i want to be explicit that my lapsing to she was not uh a purposeful slight um um my criticism of of Dembroff's uh what 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 this person is saying is 
in the content of what I'm saying, not the manner of it. Um, um, I'm sorry, I just got off track. Well, what, 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 what no, were you talking about? about? Um, uh, basically, to, it read to me that Dembroff was sort of giving oh, short shrift yeah, to the. Yeah. So, yeah. so Dembroff is, you know, trying to pretend that ordinary common usage is not what it is, right? Um, I noticed the use of the word many. You know, many find this stifling. No, they don't. 99.7% don't find this stifling. That's not many. 0.3% is not many. In any meaningful, in any sense of the word, as anybody means it, it's not many. A tiny number of people have a problem with our normal landscape of pronouns. I'm not saying that those people should be ignored. I'm not saying that, you know, perhaps they couldn't mount a public campaign and eventually start to turn and change ordinary common usage. But all that has to be socially negotiated. It can't be done by fiat and it can't be done in five minutes and it can't be just done by saying it and stipulating it and then threatening everybody who, who, who doesn't comply. I mean, A, it's not going to work and B, it's wrong, right? I mean, that's just not how we operate. Um, um, the fact of the matter is that most ordinary speakers of English think the word man and woman denotes sexes, not genders. Right, most that, that and that and that is reflected in the ordinary common language meaning of the term. Well, let's, let's do a quick woman, adult, human, female. You've seen this thing, right? I mean, right. I mean, that's ordinary common usage. Now, that can be changed. I have no problem with Dembroff and company trying to change it. Yeah, but I need to hear a good argument of why it should be changed, and you're going to have to make an argument. And you're going to have to, in a sense, negotiate that with others. In other words, you may not be able to get everything you want. You may only get part of it. I mean, that's the nature of social negotiation, right? But they don't want to do any of that, right? Right? They, they want everything, and, and they don't want to have to negotiate about it, and they don't want to have to have the arguments. They want to be able to stipulate all the arguments away. They want to be able to get journal editors and to, 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 to refuse to even publish people trying to have those arguments. Now, when I see all in that situation, I'm when I what I conclude is that you're not inviting me to do philosophy. You're picking a fight with us, and you know that's how that's how I've been responding. Right? If somebody wants to invite me to do philosophy, I'm happy to do it, but I don't feel like I'm being invited to do philosophy. Um, what, what did you think about the journal's decision to let um, Robin Dembroff in this paper with Daniel Wodak laid out what they, they describe it as a radical claim that we should just use they rather than he and she. And I think basically all circumstances throughout this paper, Dembroff refers to, to Alex as they, I, I was a little bit surprised that I asked, whether, I asked why, I asked why Dembroff was misgendering Alex. Right. As far it as seems I'm concerned, like I know, I don't think Alex identifies as non-binary. No, no. Alex is definitely a he, I guess. So they, there's a brief footnote where, she, uh, sorry, Dembroff writes, throughout this paper, I use they as a singular gender neutral program. See Dembroff and Wodak 2018 for a philosophical criticism of gender specific pronouns, which is sort of gets to what we're talking to, where it's like, I made this argument, therefore this argument's right, and I'm going to go with this method in, in contravention of the way everyone uses language and, and likely in contravention of Alex's preference himself. Like, none of that matters. It just sort of steamrolls everything. Yeah. Well, but that's but listen, that's consistent with what we've been talking about, right? I right. mean, I mean, look, if Dembroff was as easygoing and open-minded about how others choose to 
identify pronoun wise people, then I don't have a problem with Dembroff using the word, using they to refer to everyone. Yeah. But that's not what it is, right? right. Dembroff's way is the right way. Despite the fact that I, I, I find the arguments for it incredibly thin and terrible and, I, and, 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 and I have a, a million questions, none of which seem to get asked because they're not allowed to be asked in the venues that we're talking about. Um, um, but I, I, you know, I just, I don't accept the arguments for it, um, um, for, for calling everybody they, um, beyond the fact that it makes a nightmare out of ordinary conversations, right? Um, uh, you try to do this in a classroom. It's, it's, it's bloody difficult and, and hard. And, and you, what happens is you wind up thinking about what you, about that rather than what you're talking about. It's tremendously distracting. <laughs> to the ninety nine point seven percent of the people in the class or in the conversation to whom this does ma- not matter at all, yeah. And I just, I just continually find myself not understanding why such an overwhelming, gigantic majority should be required to go through such elaborate, baroque sort of in- efforts, right, <laughs> on behalf of such a tiny. Uh, percentage of the population. And I think this is where one of the worst dimensions of this comes to play and the most manipulative, and that is the effort, the, 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 the just flat out abuses of the harm principle, right? And so harms are claimed, right? Suicides are invoked. All these things are sort of brought in to sort of suggest that, um, well, the reason why 99.7% of the population should completely um, con- to contort and twist themselves into pretzels and knots and employ very f- alien ways of speaking that right. make a mess of their conversations. The reason they should do all of that is if you don't, people are going to die, right? Right. I find that kind of argument really – the minute somebody does something like that, I immediately now say, okay, you're a propagandist. You're not, you're not inviting me to do philosophy. You are being manipulative you're playing a game and I, and I, it immediately puts me off. Not only does it not make me sympathetic, it makes me hostile. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's so obviously manipulative and, and, and abusive of what we mean by harm, what we mean by damage, what we mean by suffering, what we mean by, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I yeah. Well, and so that's the way that they, what they do is they weaponize suicides and things to try and, as, as a replacement for an actual argument, right? what you need is a moral argument. Right. I guess like the other, the other thing that jumped out at me is um, where I wish like actual philosophy would step up and, and help guide my thinking is at this point, people with, with different gender identities are lumped into all under the same umbrella, but uh, Dembroff himself, uh, Dembroff has written like, there's instances in which people adopt a non-binary identity for strictly political reasons. And that's, that's something they've admitted. There's a Harvard Law Re- Review article that mentions that the Dembroff sites. Again, philosophically, that is very different. Saying, I want you to use this pronoun because of my political beliefs. I want you to validate my political project is very different from, I, I strongly feel this thing within me that I've always felt, and it will cause me harm if you don't acknowledge that. Those are clearly very different situations, and they're lumped together as the same thing. And again, if if this was sort of a normal mature discussion of of what do we owe others where where do those obligations end we could talk sort through some of that stuff instead you have this position where 
you know, someone with crippling dysphoria who really can't function without hormones is lumped together with someone who just decides as a political project, they're going to adopt they pronouns. Those are clearly very different situations. And under normal circumstances, we could, you know, explore those distinctions, I think. Well, I, I'm, I'm aware at least that there are some pretty severe divisions within the trans community. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, there, there's all sorts of horrible sort of epithets that are used that are hurled against one another within the community. Um, it strikes me as an extremely dysfunctional activist movement. Um, 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 you know, I wrote an essay a while ago um, in which I asked whether the gender identity movement is going to destroy the traditional civil rights coalition. <clears throat> and I kind of think it is right. I mean, because it's, it's very much at odds with traditional civil rights, right? The traditional civil rights are all centered around the idea that, People should not pay a social, um, uh, political, or other economic or other sort of price for the having of um, uh, immutable characteristics, right? Whether it's you know uh, their sex, whether it's their 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 race, even though there really aren't races. So what you're talking about is ethnicities and skin colors and stuff like that, um, or their sexual orientation, right? Um, um, and there's a very straightforward way in which you can make a very clear and uncomplicated argument or why, why these are really irrelevant to any of the sort of the social and political and economic prerogatives that yeah. people should have. Um, and, um, and it's all about acknowledging a material reality, but denying it a social or ethical valence, right? Right. The gender identity movement is not about that at all. The gender identity movement is entirely about forcing people to accept one's self-identifications often in contradiction with material reality. Right. right. Um, um, so, I mean, there, there are these very sort of brazen efforts. I don't know if you've ever seen this Alex Drummond person in the UK. Right. But you know, the, the, the Kate man, Robin Denbroff, you know, someone identifies as a woman, then they are a woman. Oh, is this the, the person who identifies as a lesbian? They got like a Buzzfeed write up. Well, this is a, this is a person who has a full beard, yeah. Who is, in every demonstrable, obvious ways, a man, other than that he wears women's clothes, right? Traditionally, women's clothes. Even that, right? What the hell are women's clothes? Right. They're just stereotypes, right? They're, they're, they're stereotypically women's clothes and like nail polish and stuff, and. Is not in, in other in other words, there's a very brazen kind of effort to to override to deny material reality, right? Um, and force everyone to accept self identification. Now, that is not what any of the civil rights movements were ever about, and indeed, it's no. an inversion of what the traditional civil rights movements were about. And I don't see how the traditional civil rights movements survive it, right? Because if material ident- if material reality is subsumable to self-identification, then I don't see how anybody claimed, can claim an immutable characteristic relative to which they have to be liberated civilly and socially, right? I, I think the reason that I'm less um, pessimistic than you is I think like if you went back to sort of the peak of the AIDS crisis, um, and like uh, gay activism back then, there was obviously some very effective gay activism. There was also like a lot of like real radicalism going on. And I think any sort of new movement maybe goes through like a phase mm. where it's not fully. You're saying that you're saying that this is the, because these are the early stages, is what you're saying. That this is going to smooth out within the community, you think, and there's going to be a more a more 
Yeah. And look, who knows, but like three years ago or whatever it was, Dembroff mentions this, like, you know, the New York city department of something put out a list of like the, the 27 gender identities you have to respect. And as it turns out, people aren't really interested in like 20 different pronouns that has sort of gone by the wayside. It was like a Tumblr curiosity. We're down to three. So some aspects of this, it isn't really clear how things will look in 10 you years. Think that's that- an example of it coming to a more reasonable position from within. I think that's. I don't want to say that's an interesting observation. Yeah, and and whatever. I don't like, and I just think in other situations there's so much trans activism that's less visible on Twitter that really is just about stuff that I find completely righteous. I mean, like housing. I don't think people should be kicked out of their housing over no. the gender expression no. identity. But that sounds to me more like traditional civil rights concern. Yeah, right? no, and I'm saying I, I think because Twitter has this distortion effect where the 1% of the shit that is very crazy and intensely radical, trying to get everyone to not use he or she pronouns, I think the, if you could, I wish there was more like survey research on this, but the average trans person really does just want to be left alone. That's not the average activist you see. On we're not, we haven't been talking at all about the average trans person. We're talking about a handful right. of activists, mostly within academia. Many of whom aren't trans. Like, yeah, I suspect that the average trans person um, wishes none of this was happening because it, it draws the worst kind of attention. So that's why I don't think it'll, I, I think I'm worried about its sort of short-term effects, but I just think in the long run, this stuff smooths itself out. And it's not, um, a lot of it, once it, once people understand what these arguments are and how radical they are, they don't, they won't last long because they don't really make any sense. And no, I tend to agree. Them. That's why I said whenever it runs up sort of against the public or against the electorate, it winds up sort of the, the waves break on the rocks, right? I mean, is what it seems like to me. Yeah, but the problem is that a number of sort of the institutions are really being damaged um, by, 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 in a sense, accepting the coercive force of these activists, right? I mean, I mean, look, I mean, I'm not sure. I think once everything washes out in the UK regarding what happened at like the Tavistock Clinic and all of these sorts of, um, I think this is going to set back the cause. Right. What we're going to find out is going to be so horrifying um, and, and repl- represents such catastrophic medical malpractice right. that it's going to damage the reputation of that branch of medicine. And, and, and I see the same thing happening in athletics, right? If God for, if this really goes the way it looks, the way it's been going, um, it's going to destroy the credibility of, of women's athletics, right? I mean, um, 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 you know, if you're going to have, you know, power, Olympic power lifters, right? who are, who are just, you know, crushing world records, you know, um, um, by orders of magnitude that, that otherwise you would only think you could have if like a superhero participated in sports. Right. I think it's going to, you know, in other words, I agree with you, but the problem is that too many of the institutions have bought into the Twitter, the Twitter version of this and have, done things that now I think really have damaged them institutionally. And I'm worried about the institutions. Yeah. And well-being. You know, I think that those are, I've written about the youth dysphoria stuff. I think a lot of bad science is getting bandied about, but you know, there are a lot of clinicians who are themselves worried about it and are trying to quietly exert influence. Well, there were mass resignations from Tavistock. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, 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 but you know, but so, so I guess what I'm saying is that on the one hand, I agree with you that this is fringe activists. They're they're cr- clearly pretty crazy people. Um, um, those within academia, it's not at all clear to me that they're, that they're behaving like academics, but more like a propagandist and sort of uh, purveyors of agitprop. Um, 
but I don't think it's dismissible because they do have their hooks in institutions and the institutions are being really damaged. And I'm not sure that they might not be damaged beyond repair. Right. I mean, um, 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 uh, and so I, I don't think we can just sort of dismiss this. Well, if we just all ignore these people. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, stop, I think the, right? it should be that... pushed back against. No, I agree. I just think it's like a, an early, um, I think it's like early on, basically, for a lot of the stuff. How early do you think? I mean, it, it's it's you're right in the sense that when you re, when you pointed out it was early, it should have shocked me because it feels like it's been forever. No. How 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 long do you think? Would how if you were writing a sort of a comprehensive essay on this? Yeah. How long would you say this has been going on? I mean, it depends how you define this, but like the, the, it was basically a decade ago, the first kids in the state started transitioning and going on puberty blockers. We don't even have long-term data on that yet. Uh, the sports stuff is brand new and you see, I meant the toxic politics. I don't mean the actual uh, phenomenon. The phenomenon has probably been going on forever. Right. Well, I mean this, this sort of, this, this sort of circle of issues, personalities, distortions of discourse that we're talking about. How long would you date them? Oh, um, two or three years. Yeah, like three or four or five, and it's gotten worse and worse. And I think they'll be, I think it'll, some of it'll swing back to normal. But what's been disturbing to me is like watching the way outlets cover this stuff just with no regard for the actual science on, you know, on issues like physiology and sports or, or the evidence we have about kids in dysphoria. It's just, it, it's like watching a Soviet science scientist work through agriculture yeah. data. It's yeah. The really attempt bad. to deny that anybody who's been through a male puberty. Right. Retains some antigens, I mean, that is just so well established Yeah, that it's, it's, that's what, you know, clearly just propaganda. Um, um, but I'm also really disturbed, you know, you, you, you just, you know, earlier on, you introduced, you know, your new podcast. I mean, do you, what they have done to Katie, right? Herzog. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about you walk down the streets of your city and there are stickers posted on, stuck to like lampposts and bus stations, like calling for your murder and stuff. Right. I mean, or, 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 or just saying the most awful things about you. I'm I'm disturbed also about what's being what's being done to people right who try to I, I, I don't know why anyone would be willing to put up with that sort of thing right and and Katie's like a saint yeah you know no, when, when when the stranger had to sort of furlough because of the coronavirus you know Katie's like I'm I'm I immediately you know donated to her I, I immediately donated right because I can't ima- if if that was done to me for five minutes I would quit. Yeah, no, it's been awful what she's been through. Um, but you know, she's resilient, and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm lucky I get to do a podcast with her. She's, You're she's getting it too. I mean, um, I don't know how much. I don't know if you've gotten as far as people like you know, postering your neighborhood, right? With uh, just I had some weird stuff happen to me. Yeah, it wasn't a, so she, because she's because she's gay. She got sort of ostracized by her own community in a way I didn't. Also, like I have normal friends. I don't have like. Brooklyn leftist hipster friends. So I, I, I faced no like real world social consequences where she really did, which sucks because uh, she's an excellent reporter and she didn't do anything wrong. And she's so obviously liberal and progressive yeah. Yeah. that, you know, going back to that earlier point, it's just like, 
if that if if an activist movement on the left cannot include Katie Her you know Katie, Katie Herzog, then I don't know what, what then there's what is there two people in it? Well, I this mean, is where it, I where I get sort of a little bit self uh, feel a little bit aggrieved as well to be honest because it's like if you if you read my work on this stuff it's like I think I think some well diagnosed thirteen year olds should go on blockers and hormones I, I really don't think it like if they really have been through a serious process and had competent care and I know that's controversial. That if that is not an acceptable position to be part of some big liberal coalition, I mean, that, right. that's insane. Then there's and no then, coalition. Then there's no, no coalition. It's, just, it's doomed. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk at all specifically about the dynamics of the burn Dembroff or did you, or did we just cover it to the, your satisfaction? Um, um, I found it a, a bit of a remarkable exchange. I didn't know if you wanted to go into details of it or. Well, I'd be curious to, to hear. I, I felt, so some of the other Dembroff stuff I mentioned um, I, I could, it was totally comprehensible to me. This one was a little bit more technical. So if you found it remarkable, I'd be, I'd be curious to hear your, your more expert. Take well, on. I mean, I found it remarkable partly for some reasons that you've already identified, right? I found remarkable. So Alex lays out a very plain, clear, straightforward case, very analytic. You know, you read it. It's like, okay, this is a, this is clearly a very standard analytic philosopher, right? He, yep. you know, I I've read papers like this about everything from, you know, properties to, you know, uh, natural kinds to, to any other sort of you know, technical topic in analytic philosophy. And the claims are really not, they're, they're not particularly remarkable. I mean, no. you know, at one point, he says, he says, um, one of the arguments is that, look, you know, um, there is a reason to have language for sex, for, for reproductive categories, right? Right. right? Um, when talking about a mammalian species, right? Now, you wouldn't think that this, this is something you need to, you know, sort of. You shouldn't need a philosopher for that. But he that. does. He right. actually does. He explains why, right? I mean, um, so it, what was remarkable to me was that. You know, he just laid out like the most normal, plain standard. And you read Dembroff's reply. Yeah. There's it's almost, like she read Mein Kampf. There's, not just that, but there's almost no actual engagement with it at all. Yeah, that was my what, sense. What you get is, is an entire in, so, sort of library of citation, right? You just look at it and it's just all citation, right? Um, very little to no engagement with the actual substance of any of the arguments. It's just like, you know, well, you know, this has been referred, refuted here and this has been discussed here and it appeared and he never said, and then it's just sort of the, it's just sort of finished off with, um, oh, and by the way, clearly um, um, Al, uh, uh, Alex is uh, uninformed, uneducated, uh, and I suspect um, ill-motivated. What was so? What was so? That's strange the whole essay, it. right? That that is the essay. I can't believe it made it when it was. I, I cannot believe that was published. I was just stunned. It, it, for me, represented such a catastrophic corruption of editorial standards. Um, not to mention it being incredibly unwise, because I suspect that the round that's going to come now after. That Alex is going to eviscerate Dembroff so completely. But that's not. But remember the iron, the iron law. Like, I don't think I don't think it'll go poorly for Dembroff. I think it, whatever happens will be presented within her circles as though Dembroff trounced Byrne. It'll be no, 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 no. I understand realities. that. I'm, I'm talking about the public. I'm talking about the larger public. perception. In other yeah. words, you know, look, look, think about elections, right? The way our elections work. 
um, it doesn't help the Democrats to just pile up more votes in L.A. County, right? right. Like you need to get votes in freaking Michigan and Wisconsin, right? Um, it's not going to help Dembroff's cause to have the people who already agree with her even more fanatical and, and, and mad than, 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 than before, right? They need to actually convince somebody else, right? And anybody else looking at this, these two essays is going to say, oh, here's a person presenting an argument for what strikes me as an obvious and uncontro- you know, so obvious that everybody knows it by the time they're, seven, they're in the seventh grade. And then somebody else offering this kind of Baroque, um, Rococo almost sort of right. litany of citation and evasive sort of comment and just flat out, you know, um, almost demagogically false appeals about what many people think or are concerned about or, and then at the end, punchline, insults and attributions of bad motives, right? Anyone looking at that who's not already on Dembrov's team is just going to say, wow, not only did you lose, but you, 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 you represent the sort of the worst thing that philosophy could turn into. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, and I said this recently in an essay, um, and now with coronavirus, it's even worse. But before that, philosophy is in very serious institutional trouble. Um, um, the, the, the first before coronavirus, it was an institutional trouble simply because of the financial imperatives of universities and of students. Other than at elite institutions, students just don't major in philosophy. They don't want to major. In, they don't want to major in philosophy. Philosophy has gotten relegated to general education. And now general education is being contracted out to community colleges. Right. Um, and so um, philosophy is, is in trouble. With coronavirus on top of it, now putting even the turning the, the financial screws and interviews even tighter, it's going to be even worse trouble. And if philosophy comes across to the public as filled with lunatics, right, and propagandists, you can kiss it goodbye, right? You right. just can kiss it goodbye. And so now I'm at this point, I think beyond just being an irritation, beyond deforming the discipline, these people pose an existential threat to it. Um, um, and, um, fortunately I have no, I have no, how shall I say standing in professional philosophy to lose. Um, and so at least I'm, I'm been trying to sort of set to sort of fight this fight against this others who have a much stronger position like Brian Leiter, um, um, also have been sort of uh, fighting it. Um, but I don't think, I don't think we're going to survive as a discipline within the academy, at least across most of the universities and colleges, um, under the current financial pressures, if this increasingly is the public face of what we do. Yeah. Well, maybe, uh, maybe we should end on a news item that just came across my, my transom from retraction watch, which might show that these problems aren't unique to your field. Journal retracts paper on gender dysphoria after 900 critics petition. So a, a paper got retracted uh, because a bunch of people were offended by it because it presented a new theory of gender dysphoria from a neurological perspective. And um, oh, so this was an actual neuroscience paper. Yeah, in a neuroscience journal. Mm, yeah, the journal was uh, what's been retracted. E neuro. Yeah, but I mean, anyway, there was we. I don't. This would open up a whole other avenue. But the point is, if you try to, no, it's write, not just philosophy. Yeah, it's it's but obviously it's unique in philosophy for various reasons, like this manifestation of it. But there's this whole big important subject that you can't really have a normal conversation about, and that's a shame. Do you plan? 
I'm just curious about you. I mean, have you had enough of this subject? Are you are you going to turn your writing efforts to some something else, or is this something you're going to keep working on? Um, I mean, I know you're not being harassed quite as badly as Katie is, but um, are you, have, you, have you just had enough of it yourself? Um, it's sort of like a, an every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in kind of situation. Uh, I can't really. I, there's like every other week there's a new major article in, in a mainstream publication that just gets stuff horribly wrong. And I end up writing about it on my newsletter, which has been fairly successful. So I think that's a good outlet for it, especially because those are often paywalled posts. So like the people who freak out at me can't see them anyway. Um, not that I write anything controversial, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm fascinated by the subject. I also don't think there's much of a market to write about it from sort of a, a critical perspective. I think if you're either a left wing or a right wing bomb thrower, polemicist, there's a market for articles about it, but my stance is generally that a lot of this stuff is complicated and, and there's a lot we don't know. And that's not very marketable, you know, outside of something like a newsletter. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think we've, I, I don't, I don't know if we've covered all the things that were in your outline, but we certainly, I think covered a lot of them. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add or, or raise? No, I just, I wish more, um, Again, there's limitations to what I can say about this stuff because I'm not a philosopher. I wish I wish more philosophers would sort of step up and and you know do what Tavell did. That's a bad example because she got roasted for it. But that the right approach is to treat this like any other complicated subject with varying trade-offs and questions about what we owe one another. And I I just think philosophy can do much better. And it's easy for me to say from outside it, but I hope people step up. Have you heard of this journal that Peter Singer started? Yeah, the one about sort of controversy. The Journal of Controversial Ideas in which people will be allowed to publish anonymously. Yeah. Now, there's a classic example. I mean, Peter Singer, you know, for all the criticism I've made of him, and I've made a lot, the man is brave as hell, right? Yeah. I mean, because um, he is hated um, uh, in the disability community. Um, and um, um, he, and, and amongst disability activists, um, he's been deplatformed all over the place. He's been threatened, um, and so on and so forth, um, for for articulating views that just fall straight out of his utilitarianism, and which are indeed controversial. And in my view, some of them are rather appalling, right? right. Um, um, but nonetheless, they're they're perfectly legitimate views within the intellectual space of of moral philosophy and applied ethics, right? Um, um, and they're conversations that have to be made, uh, have to be ha- had, because they directly affect uh, very important policy making, having to do with you know uh, policies regarding euthanasia and 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 now that we're seeing with coronavirus, right? Um, 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 distribution of medical resources and so on and so forth. Yeah. Have to have these conversations. Um, and Singer, um, really to his credit, um, understands how important it is to be able to have these conversations and has put his credibility and his, and his very important name and platform behind this effort. And so maybe more people will start writing about it and publishing in this venue since they can do so anonymously yeah. and thus eliminate one of the major weapons of the activists. And that is to try and destroy their rep- professional lives. Right. Um, now, whether one journal is enough and, or whether it will just be the beginning of something that will accumulate, um, I don't know. But yeah, there isn't. There are efforts to try, at least among some who recognize this problem, to try to get philosophy back to what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, I hope they're. Uh, I hope they're successful. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jesse, and um, uh, we'll have links to all of the things we talked about, as well as to Jesse's uh, uh, current and ongoing projects. 
Um, his Twitter feed is very much worth following. And, Thank you. Um, um, and also uh, the, you have a newsletter. And you said that that's been successful? Yeah, no, it's been, I've been gratified to see that it's let me do less other freelancing and be a bit more uh, self-sustaining, yeah, which is good. Yeah. So. And of course, the new podcast with Katie Herzog of The Stranger. Yeah, yeah. I hope people check out uh, Blocked and Reported. It's on all the major uh, podcast apps. Yeah, yeah. Katie's got a wonderful sense of humor. You guys, are, it's a great it's a great pairing. Uh, I strongly recommend it to people. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Jesse, and uh, we'll see you around uh, these internets again soon. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for watching. All right. Bye-bye.